name's Eileen Townsend, and I'm the editor of the Northern Logger and Timber Processor, a trade magazine for the forest products industry that's based out of the Adirondack Mountains in New York State. Hi, and thanks for listening to this month's Northern Logger podcast. So as many of our listeners know, this year we were not able to hold our annual Loggers Equipment Expo, uh, which takes place every other year in Vermont and in Maine, and it's a huge draw for loggers and foresters and sawmillers and anybody in the forest products region around the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic, and we were really sorry to not be able to hold that this year because of COVID-19. A part of our Loggers Expo that's always a lot of fun is our annual banquet, which is sponsored by Farm Credit. And that is a time when we give out awards to our Northeastern Loggers Association awards winners. We have uh, an award for Outstanding Logger of the Year and Outstanding Trucker of the Year and Industry Activist. And it's just a time when we honor those people who are trying to make it better for everybody else in the industry, and it's always a really special event. This year, of course, we were not able to hold our banquet, but we do have several award winners from uh, 2019. These are our 2019 award winners who were supposed to be honored at our 2020 banquet, and uh, we spoke with those award winners on this month's podcast uh, about their careers in the industry, about how they've made it work when at times it's been very tough, about how business is going now. And it was just really good to hear their optimism and also uh, get some perspective on what long careers look like in the forest products industry. So thanks for tuning in. The first person that we hear from is a name that might be familiar on this podcast. It's Colleen Goodridge. Colleen is just a force. She is the president of Goodridge Lumber, which is located in Vermont. They're a cedar mill. They're really interesting business. And Colleen is involved in tons of industry organizations, including the Northeastern Loggers Association. But she's had a long-term role since the 70s with the Vermont Forest Products Association. And the Vermont Forest Products Association is our 2019 winner for outstanding industry activist because of their efforts in education and lobbying and generally just trying to communicate on behalf of the forest products industry. So we're going to hear from Colleen and then we're going to hear from our outstanding sawmill operator. That's Stephen Renee Patton of Pine Tree Lumber. And we're going to hear from our outstanding logging operator for 2019, which is Ted Puxbutt from Rutland, Vermont. So thanks for tuning in, and here's us talking to Colleen. Okay, as far as Goodridge Lumber and myself, we've actually been members since the group was formed in 1977. We've always been members, and I would say probably 20 or 25 years ago, 1994, 1995, I became a director, which I still am, and I don't know how many years I've been vice president, but do have a long history with the organization. Uh, How did you all first get involved 
with the with the formation of it. In the the letter that you received for the nomination, it was basically a grassroots bunch of people, business owners that were plagued by the IRS and the independent contractor status, and they felt that they needed to come together and maybe uh, the voice was stronger uh, with more people involved. And it certainly affected uh, everyone in the forest products industry. So that group got together, and one thing led to another, and they they um, formed in 1977 the Vermont Log Truckers Association. And then it evolved into Vermont Timber Producers Association, Vermont Timber Truckers Producers Association, and finally Vermont Forest Products Association. But what we grew the organization was the fact that all of us in the forest products industry play an important role, and we are affected by different things that help us in our businesses or, or maybe need to be changed to help us be more prosperous. So, um, you know, today we have landowners, loggers, truckers, foresters, um, firewood processors, biomass plants, the gamut, uh, which is, I think, one of the strengths is that we're getting perspectives from all sectors of the industry, and it takes all of us to make it work. And if some of us are out of the circle, so to speak, um, it certainly has a major impact on the rest of us. So strength in numbers, being there to advocate for all all of us, no matter what level you're at. That's great. Can you just tell me a little bit about some successes that you all have had over the years? Well, I would say one successful thing is that we've survived as an organization. Um, our leadership structure has changed throughout the years beginning with an executive director and a part-time executive director. And most of our funds have always been derived from membership dues or fundraising. So we, we operate, we do an awful lot on a small amount of money. Currently, uh, the leadership mo uh, model is we have an administrative secretary. The officers have taken on the leadership role as um being the executors of the organization, and we do hire a lobbyist. So basically, it's um, we worked with what funds we we um, can obtain. Uh, we do some fundraising, and like I say, we're always looking for new members, uh, not only for their dues, but also to be stronger in a voice uh, promoting our industry. Uh, so right now, it's the officers, administrative secretary and a lobbyist. And so what are some things that you all have worked on this year? Well, we've worked on, of course, this year has been a very strange year because of the COVID. To accomplish our mission of promoting our industry and also defending it when necessary, we do that by accomplishing a few different things. One is we do a lot of public outreach and education to help people understand what the forest industry is about. One thing say back in 1977 we were more of a rural state and the rural economy and agriculture and forestry was better understood and as people move further away from those rural roots those people may not 
have the knowledge that we do when we live and grow up in the area. So we felt feel that it's important to always continue to tell tell our story about what we do and why it's important, part of our culture and our, our traditions in Vermont, very much part of our rural economy, providing jobs and revenue, and also uh, working for us are healthy for us. So letting people know what the environmental benefits are to keeping forests healthy and the benefits of clean water, wildlife habitat, lumber products, uh, clean air, recreation, all those things. So just trying to tie it together that people have that connection of why agriculture and forestry in Vermont are the core values of Vermonters and how we play an important part of keeping those benefits alive. So we do a lot of public outreach and education. We also do a a great amount of education within our industry, whether we're training uh, blogger safety safety training. Um, Maybe we'll have workshops on being more efficient, uh, all on the business side. Um, So lots of different things that we do internally. The Vermont Forest Products Association has an educational arm, which is the Vermont Forestry Foundation, and that is the the educational outreach arm that um, we put on many different seminars or classes, support the education both inside the organization and to the public at large of all ages. We do a lot of networking with other organizations, other whether it's the Woodworking Council or Woodlands Association, we, we work with others on items of common interest. And of course, we, we are in Montpelier daily during the legislative session, with the exception of this year, um, trying to be proactive in letting folks know what we do, why we do it, and be part of the discussion before some policies and laws are made that may may be beneficial and maybe there might be some that would be troublesome uh, and challenging in our businesses. So it's important that we're at the table in the discussion and also letting our members know what is happening in Montpelier. So they may need to come out of the woods and call their legislature to understand something or to give their input. Uh, Our industry, usually, they're all very hard workers and they're not always tied to a computer or a cell phone or going to meetings. So it's it's a, a challenge to get people informed, and uh, we want to keep them informed, knowing that they're going about their daily business trying to make a living. Absolutely. final question I wanted to ask you is just uh, if you know how things are standing with, I know, Act, is it Act 350 in Vermont? Act- Act 250, for the last year or two, there have been, I can't remember if it was a year or two ago, we we had various meetings throughout the state that were held reviewing Act 250 as it came upon its 50th year. These meetings were held throughout the state to get input on how is it working, what are the pluses, what needs to be improved, you know, after 50 years, how is it going? Um, I know that the forest products industry had many participants in these regional meetings. Um, many of us have attended legislative com- committee meetings and testified how Act 250 
affects our businesses. 250 was promoting, you know, our environment and also protecting our environment and promoting economic prosperity, I think the brochure said. And I think we've got done a good job protecting the environment. Um, I question the economic prosperity, uh, especially in uh, our, our ag and forestry. And um, we want to know how we can improve on that. And first off, people need to listen to what's happening and how regulation affects our businesses. I always say incentives towards a goal always work better than hard and fast regulation. So we're looking forward to that discussion on how we're going to make it better for our businesses. Um, most, most of our rural businesses are struggling, or, and it won't take much to <laughs> have them be gone. There, there haven't been many... I think new startups for forest value-added businesses um, are pretty much non-existent, and we want to know why is that when we have all this wood that we're harvesting? Why shouldn't we get the full benefit of the wood? Shorter tr hauls for the truckers to market, which uh, certainly when you're talking about climate change and everything else, let's use less diesel fuel. Let's get it to market in a close proximity. More money for the truckers can make more trips in one day, the landowner uh, receives more benefit out of that, and it puts people to work. Uh, we're only getting a small percentage of the value when we have to ship out of state to other markets. So our question was, what can we do to encourage businesses to establish themselves in Vermont? So we want to be at the table. We want to um, weigh in on this because it is, it's going to be kind of a make-or-break thing for um, the future going ahead, and uh, of course, during the pandemic, they were just uh, were limited in doing Zoom and, and whatnot. And in Vermont, we didn't always have the best internet connections, and it was hard for the general public to actually get into the discussions. The last uh, bit was the uh, Act 250. A couple things on that uh, regarding trails and fragmentation. The governor did that, and I believe we all want to be back at the drawing board uh, next year in full discussion. Hopefully the COVID will be tamed down a bit, and we can tackle these problems as we go ahead. I shouldn't say problems. I should say opportunities, opportunities as we go forward to especially grow our rural economy and something that Vermont, Vermonters all derive benefits from. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Colleen, for taking time. And uh, I think it's going to be a good article and congratulations on the award. And uh, yeah, I, I hope that it draws some attention to the organization. Well, that, that'll be great. And um, I miss seeing everybody this year. I know, I know. It's been, it's sad, <laughs> you know. I'm kind of like, where am I? Yeah. And you know, this fall... Let me see. Yeah, kind of mid-September to the first of, to now, my vehicle was almost wanting to head to Old Forge. <laughs> you know, oh. the fall meeting, the leaves yeah. were changing, and you know, you've made that trip over. I says, you know, this is the time of year you're supposed to be heading to Old Forge. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Now, 
I love the story of Pine Tree Lumber, which is run by Stephen Renee Patton, because it's the story of a small mill that has made it in a time when a lot of small mills are not doing so great or have gone out of business, and it's just a story of somebody who had a lot of love for the industry and a love for their region and put it into making a successful business that's operating in a tough industry. As you know, you're our 2019 winner of our Outstanding Sawmill Operator Award. So I'm just calling because I, I want to hear the story from you about how you got started with Pine Tree Lumber and how business has progressed over the years and how y'all are doing right now. Okay, that's uh, a rather interesting story, actually. So, so I actually started out of high school, went in the Marine Corps, and out of the Marine Corps went into the logging industry as former four generations in my family had done, assuming that that is likely where my career would start and finish is in the woods. However, after 23 years of logging, I actually took on a part-time job as the program director for the New Hampshire Timberland Owners Association. They were in need of somebody to fill Eric Johnson's shoes as he he uh, became very ill with MLS, which was a horrible situation. Uh, that aside, I took on that role part-time while I, while I was trying to do both, uh, work in the woods and and uh, work as program director. A very good friend of mine who I was had supplied logs to at a small sawmill in Lempster, New Hampshire called Pine Tree Lumber, uh, passed away suddenly in May of 2016, his sawmill that was his, the most important thing in his life, was going to disappear if somebody didn't step in and keep it, keep it rolling. His, his widow actually worked with him but didn't really understand the operations. She did payroll and uh, wrote checks for the loggers every week. She knew that that's what uh, put food on the table, but really didn't know how to make it happen. So I, I actually stepped in and took over management of the mill the very next day in May of 2016 after she dealt with the, her, the personal issues and, and taking care of her Doug Fournier, her husband, um, we started talking about transitioning, and it took a while to iron out all of the, you get all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, but in June of 2018, Renee, my wife, and I became sole owners of the mill. And we're very happy to see that the mill is going to survive and hopefully thrive. How has it surprised you? How is it different than you imagined running the mill would be? Well, it's it's very similar, actually, to the 23 years I spent logging with trying to chase the trends in marketing. That's very similar, so there was no surprises there. The, the couple of big items that have been a surprise is the 
workforce seems to be quite a bit different in the on the sawmill side. My key employees are top notch, uh, tremendous guys. I, I couldn't ask for better. Entry level employees in sawmills seem to be there seems to be a revolving door. In the logging side, when I was there, I, I think if somebody stepped into the woods, in my experience, I, this might not be everybody's, but in my experience, if somebody stepped into the woods, they had already made their mind up that that's where they wanted to be. In the sawmill side, it's not so much. I, I, I get the sense that I'm uh, competing for employees with Dunkin' Donuts or, or the, you know, the nearest Walmart sometimes. People just say they want a job, but <laughs> then they, they, don't, they don't perform as if they really do. With the mill, I mean, how much production do you all do? How many board feet a year? I like to think of us as a mid-sized mill, but I guess technically we're a small sawmill. We do two and a half million feet a year. 80% of that is hardwood and 20% is softwood. Uh, most of our softwood is actually marketed locally, pretty much within the county. And our, our hardwood is marketed all over the Northeast. And are you using the same equipment for the most part that you bought with the mill or um, when you took it over? Or uh, have you made capital investments in it? Uh, just can you say a little bit about the technology side of it? Sure. Well, the mill is really, it's, uh, I, I call it a state of the art 1978 sawmill, because that's, that's really what it is. I, most of the equipment is old. It's, it's been maintained fairly well, and it works very well for what we're doing. It's a very, very versatile mill. Uh, we have made a few changes just to uh, kind of trying to not to pick up our production numbers at all, because that's not my goal. Um, I had had plenty of time to assess the operation prior to signing on the dotted line, and and I, I there again, I was stepping into a sawmill sawmill ownership in, or management first, and then ownership with very little sawmill experience. I asked a lot of questions of people that I have met over the years and um, and made my own decisions as to how I wanted to make any, or initially, any capital improvements. And my goal has been to maximize efficiency, not necessarily step up production. And by default, we actually have stepped up production a, a bit. I bought a newer, trim saw for the mill, and that wasn't the big capital improvement, but just moving its location was saved us a lot of time, a lot of man hours, just by relocating a trim saw. Marketing has been quite a bit different than it used to be. We're not, we've, we've actually done a lot, more, a lot more retail and a lot more local orders for, you know, timber frame packages and things of that nature. We're... It had been um, 100% wholesale sawmill. You know, everything was shipped out rough green and by the trailer load. And, and we're doing smaller orders now, those being local. But it, it all seems to be helping. It all seems to be working. That's great. 
That's great. And and how has this year been? I mean, with the COVID and you know everything being kind of topsy turvy right now. It's been a challenge for sure. It has. Um, it's. It's made me very fortunate that we did start dabbling in retail, right out of the gate back in four years ago. Because our first quarter was tremendous, but then I found myself in April wondering if we were going to survive the year. And I'm I'm very happy to say, and it, in a normal year it would sound odd, but I'm very happy to say that the bills are all paid and the lights are still on, and all our employees are still there. We still have the same number of employees. I think we're in a good position. We've I think we'll weather it. And and you all are a big employer in your town, right? You're. Are you the largest year-round employer? We're the largest year-round employer. There's only 10 of us, but, and that includes myself. But we are, it's a very small town. Uh, we are the largest year-round employer. And lots of the people that are your core employees have been there for a long time, right? Uh, yeah, so the, the sawmill manager, he's been there for uh, 36 years, same location. And I, to be honest with you, I would not have purchased this mill were it not for him. He knew the equipment inside and out, and anything that ever broke, he had fixed, and he has an incredible memory. Were it not for him, well, I can't say I wouldn't have, but I would have, it would have taken a lot more arm twisting, I think. But he is far and away the heart and soul of that mill. What what was it, do you think, making this big transition in your career that, made you finally pull the trigger and say, this is what I want to do, and this is where, you know, I think I want to spend the next years of my life. Really, it was just the, I guess it was kind of sentimental. I, in the 23 years that I worked in the woods, I watched several other mills disappear, very close proximity to this one, Pine Tree Lumber. There's a 22-mile stretch of road between Newport, New Hampshire, and Keene, New Hampshire, that at one time was known as Sawmill Alley, and uh, it and mills operating commercially on that stretch of road, and this is the only one left. I hated to see that happen. When the idea of us, my wife and I, purchasing the mill uh, was presented to us by a close friend, uh, his question was, well, why don't you buy it? She didn't say no. And so I did want to ask a little bit about your suppliers and just kind of the shape of the industry in your region. Um, who supplies you and, you know, what, what species are you working with mostly? So I consider us a, a more of an industrial hardwood sawmill. When I say 80% of our production is hardwood, uh, the majority of that is, is industrial hardwood. We do, we do a lot of crane mats and railroad ties and pallet cants and pallet lumber. But in the process of that, we also generate some grade hardwood lumber. Buying grade hardwood logs is something that I actually try to avoid because we just, we just can't, we can't maximize that resource with the older technology. The larger hardwood mills, they, they make four-quarter grade lumber very efficiently, very fast and very efficiently, and that's something we can't compete with. But where we shine is is maintaining our versatility. We can 
we can make those railroad ties or the crane mats and also um, as a, a byproduct, which sounds strange to say, we're, we're also generating some pretty nice grade hardwood lumber. Then on the softwood side, which is again 20% of our production, we can do, we just, we have the ability to do it where the more modern and efficient white pine mills in our area, they have to keep their production numbers up and, and just don't have the time to stop and, and produce a timber frame package for a barn or, or a, a garage or even a home. And we can, we can slow down and, and watch our quality control very closely and, and put out a, a good product pretty efficiently with our, with that little mill. Annually, we have between 50 and 60 suppliers, but they're not, they're not all, come, we don't see them all every week. We do have somewhere between 10, 10 and 12, or maybe 10 and 15 local suppliers that are small operators and they bring us, I wouldn't say everything that they harvest, but um, they bring us mixed loads of most of their production. And then some of the larger operators around the state, and I, I, I've done this long enough that I know most of them, uh, when they're in the area, they always check with us and see if there's something that we need and that they might have. And uh, obviously compare the numbers and we see a fair amount of wood from them as well. We try to keep everybody happy. And if, if we can't compete, then I don't try to. I can't, you know, we're small. We're at the point where we can't overextend ourselves just because I want the wood. Okay, great. Well, well, congratulations. And it's nice to hear about what you all are doing. I'm, I'm pretty proud of my guys at the mill for making this happen because I certainly didn't do it myself. I might have put my neck on the line to sign the papers, but my key guys that I have at the mill are they're in it just as much as I am. I'm uh, out, out of them. Thank you, and uh, I hope you have a good night and that everything keeps going well for you. Ted Poxabut is a logger in Rutland, Vermont, and he is our outstanding logging operator for 2019. He says that he's had a very lucky career in the industry, but it's obvious from talking to him that his good luck is in large part a great work ethic and a long time having good relationships with the people that he supplies. Uh, so I really enjoyed talking with Ted, and here he is. Going to the army and going to Vietnam. 
going right back to work with my dad. And and how old were you then? Twenty one. So did did you all have a hand cutting operation? Yeah, we still do. Oh we wow. We got grapple skitters and a slasher. In fact, we got two slashers, but we still cut by hand. Has that decision been just because that's the way you like working? No, uh, a lot of it is we cut quite a bit of big wood. And number two, I think, well, it's a big expense and a little bit afraid to take the plunge that far. Sure. What is it that makes your operation different from other operations? Because I've got all these people who, who wrote in to just say that you all are a great business, that there's a lot that sets you apart, but I'm curious to hear, you know, how you've, how you've made it work in business. I think just from experience, you know, I, I'm 71 now, but I've probably spent 61 of them years in the woods. Hey, I got my son, who's a big help to me, uh, pretty talented. You know, we just care what we do. We, we love the business. What's your son's yeah. name? Jeff. Jeff. You know, I, I enjoy getting up in the morning and going to work. Well, I mean, you know, between the landowners we work for and the mills, we've been real fortunate. Where we live, there's all kinds of mills around here. There's two pulp mills within 50 miles, a pine mill, an ash mill, a playoff plywood. We did lose relevant plywood, but a lot of it, we've been really fortunate, too. And so do you mostly cut private timber sales, or do you buy your own stumpage, or how do you uh, do that side? We buy our own wood, and we do a lot of cutting for other mills and stuff. Uh, we don't, we haven't done many state lots or government sales. They're mostly all private. Do you have other employees besides your son? We've got one other guy that has his own skitter stuff that works with us, and his name's Dakota Harvey. And and so what's the terrain like around where you are? Uh, I've been through Rutland a few times, but are you up in the mountains? Yeah, uh, in fact, I live maybe 10 minutes from Pikeville, the ski area. And does that present you know, challenges? Uh, well, I'm sure you know, Loggy is challenging to start with. I mean, there's... <laughs> So many variables, like, uh, you know, we were in dust where you had to clean the air filters every day just a week ago, and now it just seems like it's raining every day. Right, right. And, you know, there's a lot of mountainous ground around here. There's very, very low flat ground, and if there is, it's been cut over. How has this year been for you, with everything being so crazy? Uh, been a good year. Pulp prices are a little down. But other than that, uh, in fact, 
Shad Plate Stone, right on Route 4 there, between White Hall and Fort Ed. We lot there this spring. I mean, we moved off for a winter job right on our hot spring job and been working every day. Wow. That's why I say we're, we're really fortunate and I'm really thankful for that. Definitely. What would you say to somebody who is trying to get into the industry now? You better like what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Back 30 or 40 years ago, you could buy a skitter for little or no money and have a chainsaw and a pickup to go to work. It's not really like that anymore. Yeah. Almost like farming, unless your family's in it or something. I don't know how young guys want to get started. Yeah, it can be difficult. You know, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I can remember buying a brand new dozer or a skitter, John Deere, $12,000. Wow. They don't sell them for that anymore. No, this is what I mean. What kind of job are you on right now? We're on a farmer's piece. Uh, it's 900 acres of woods. My family has cut on it for years. Uh, there's hardwood, there's softwood, there's hemlock, there's pine. We do a lot of sorting. We have a little skid steer that will sort wood because you can only sort so many different places with a flasher, as you know. Yeah. And then we do move someone with the grapple a lot. Well, we try to keep our pulp wood right next to the flasher, so we're not moving as many pieces. But you have to sort a lot. I mean, a long time ago, if you had a beach or a maple, you put it on the same truck and it went to the mill. And now you're, you're well, we're sorting seven different places. Well, we got two different pulp sorts, a firewood sort, a pine pulp for, it goes for pellets, but, so you're sorting three different places just for pulp wood, basically. And then firewood and foul logs and white all plywood. So, yeah, how much of your time do you spend sorting versus... Uh, harvesting. Uh, like I said, I got my son and this other guy who is only 27. They're real good workers. I spend all my time in the landing. Wow. And then what have you observed in terms of the health of the forest around where you are? Here again, we've been really fortunate. There's not that many big crews with Fowler butchers, like up north, that cut everything. And a lot of it, I think, is because of the terrain. Well, it sounds like you're in a good spot. I, I do, too. I, I tell my son all the time how fortunate we are. Between our reputation and all the mills around here, we're really fortunate. Well, building a good reputation takes a lot of work. Yeah, it does. And, uh, we got Mike Tatro, he got a logger of the year, or a trucker of the year, 
for the state of Vermont. I know all the Northeast too. Same. I don't know, like two, three years ago, he does all our trucking. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, we lost him. He passed away this past year, right? Yeah, yeah. But his his, so, his sons there. are running it. Yeah, yeah. And they do a tremendous job for us. That's great. All right. Thank you nice for talking to you. Yeah, thank I, you for taking not time. Not doing that interview, so rather. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> you did a great job. <laughs> But I want to thank you for everything. Yeah, well, thank you. And thank you. All right, have a good one. Hey, thanks for listening to this month's Northern Logger podcast. We really enjoyed speaking with our NELA award winners, and we were sorry that we didn't get to celebrate them in person this year. But looking forward to our expo in 2021 when we can all get together again.